Mormon Summit Church. We're here again on Sunday morning, away from one another, and hearing the Word of God together. So thank you so much for coming here and watching this today. Uh, just be reminded, there are many other people. It's not just you, that we're all gathered together, sitting, listening to God's Word together as God's people. So even though you are there by yourself with your family, you are here together with God's family. And I think of the many churches who this is just our new reality for this time. So thank you for your patience, for your grace in this. And uh, I know that God will speak through this. And so that's what I'm anticipating today. I want to remind you, even last week, as Jasper was talking about the road to peace, uh, what an encouraging message, what a good reminder to us about what God is doing but I wonder if many of us left that message and we thought, you know, praise the Lord because of that message. Now all our anxiety is just, it's gone. It's, it's left. And, and I'm thankful that there's nothing that happened this week that would even make it worse in our minds and in our family dynamics to impose even further reasons for anxiety. That hasn't happened this week. And I'm sure that your reasonableness has been known to everyone. Maybe your graciousness, your gentleness has been evidenced clearly to your family, to your kids, kids to your parents. You guys have just been living in good relationships with one another. I'm sure that that's true as well. And I know that all of you have kept your eyes fixed on the summit. Your eyes are fixed up. You're not stuck in the forest like Jasper warned us. No, no, no. We've been stuck on the summit and it's been wonderful. And, and the peace of God has been guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so really this week has been quite easy for many of us because of the message last week. Now, I, I hope that you understand that some of that is sarcastic because the reality is, like me, Sunday afternoon, much of what I had learned had been pushed to the side. Much of what I had learned and been challenged in, I did not live out. Maybe, maybe Monday I was reminded again of it, and Tuesday, but by the end of the week, I was filled with thoughts and ideas and, and concerns that absolutely weighed on my heart once again. And so I think of this reality that God in his grace, God in his grace, and I want to remind us that this is God's grace in revealing to us our hearts. Just think of what is happening. God is confining us to a degree that we now have our hearts revealed to us on a more regular basis. And I hope that you see that in his grace, God is also showing us stuff so that we would repent of things and turn more fully to him. And I think of the grace also of God testing our faith, testing us to see if it is genuine, if our faith is genuine. And maybe we've been shown very openly a lack of faith. I think of the parable in Mark 4 where Jesus talks about the seed that's thrown out in a field. And he says that there's a variety of soils that it falls in. And as I was reading that, I thought to myself, Lord, are you revealing to us perhaps that some of us are living in thorny soil? That some of us are allowing thorns to grow in the soil? Look at what Mark 4 says. Jesus talks about still others. This is people like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word. And then it says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I think of God being faithful to reveal to us during this time where our trust is, 
where our hearts turn for hope, where our thoughts turn for peace, and where we are looking to find joy. And so as we begin this morning, I want us to pray first that as we hear the word, that we would not be like the thorny ground who hears the word, but then it's choked out immediately by other concerns. And so let's pray and ask God to make his word fruitful in our hearts and lives. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I ask simply that you would help us to hear and be open to receive your word today. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be tilled, that the thorns would be removed, and that you would make us good soil that is fruitful. Lord, I ask that we would abound in fruit, that some of that fruit will be repentance. Some of it will be confirming the truth that we know in our hearts. But Lord, I pray that you would give us strength to live this out and not just to know these things. Lord, that's the challenge today, Lord. And as I admitted openly, Lord, we, we hear these things. We're challenged. We're, we're encouraged by them. But Lord, we don't have often longevity in living these things out. So help us to do that, Lord. I thank you for your patience, for your kindness and your goodness. Lord, I pray that we would see your hand more fully today. Lord, we need you. Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to uh, Philippians. We'll start actually in, in chapter 3, but turn into Philippians chapter 3 with us. And as you turn there, I want to remind you of the fact that all of us, all of us have been forced to change in some way or another in regards to what's happening with the coronavirus and various things in our state and the nation. Every single one of us has been affected by this in some way. And I think of what we talked about with anxiety. And anxiety is almost always tied to our thoughts of what will happen in the future in light of what is happening in the present. So think of it. What's happening now, perhaps vocationally or financially or relationally or even physically to you, leads you to have uncertainty to what's going to happen in the future. And the anxiety is because of what's happening now, what's going to happen in the future? But we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but our minds fill in the blanks. So we start projecting in our minds, this is happening now, so that means this. And that becomes a reality to us, but all of it is unknown. And I think of a person who says, maybe I've lost my job and I am now unpaid for at least three weeks. And the anxiety that comes because of that. There's questions like, what does this mean for my career? Or perhaps a student who now has no school and what's going to happen with my schooling or a person who's in a relationship and maybe they're separated from the one that they love and they want to be with and what's going to happen to my relationship because some things have slowed down for people change has actually slowed down but here's the also truth is that for some people it's actually gearing up i think of people in the medical field there's been three people that I've talked to in the medical field, and each one of them have said, this feels like it's the calm before the storm. And there's much that is unknown about what's going to happen even this time. Even when there seems to be peace right now, it's an unsettled peace because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And we can all think and be concerned about what will happen to my family, what is going to happen to all of my plans. Everything is now changed. And the question I honestly have asked, and probably you have as well, is how long can we really do this? Now, we've all had about a week or longer now to process what has happened. On Monday, three-week quarantine to your home, 
And this is now our new normal. And I find it interesting, again, as things kind of come, it's becoming slowly more and more and more confined, more isolation, more separation. And the question we have to ask today is, how are you processing this? How are you thinking through this? What are you thinking about through this time? I think of a quote by Dave Harvey. He says this. He says, when left to myself, the trenches of my mind have always flowed towards gloomier pools of thought. He says, I'm constantly amazed at how far down the road I can go with unbelieving, God-denying, depressing thoughts before I even realize what I'm doing. And perhaps that's true of you. Perhaps that's what you've seen your mind has trickled down further and further into gloomier pools of thought. And you've had thoughts that are unbelieving, God-denying, and depressing thoughts. And I want to say that in this passage today, God is really guiding us on how to fix our minds, to rescue us from a downward cycle of thought and depressing preoccupations with what is happening. And let me remind us also that God is not promising to remove chaotic circumstances in our life. In fact, he he doesn't promise to remove the chaotic circumstances. I would say he actually promises to permit them and allow them in our life. And some of us would say, well, why in the world would he do that? Can I tell you it's because he's good? That God is good to do that? Because we become so satisfied in ourselves. I become so satisfied in my ability. As we talked about in Philippians, we become so confident in our flesh. And we so quickly forget our need for him. And so the greatest thing that we could see during this time is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, and to be reminded that he is far greater than we know him to be. And here's an example. I want to quickly trace for you how God in his grace has been preparing all of us as a church, even while the coronavirus was spreading in the world and coming to our nation. Think of how God has been preparing us. Just look at what we've been learning in the book of Philippians this year. And so your Bible's open to Philippians 3. Look at what he says. Again, he says right at the beginning, rejoice in the Lord. And we were challenged, rejoice in the Lord. God has made you his people. You guys worship by the Spirit of God. You glory in Christ Jesus, and you're to put no confidence in the flesh, he says in 3, verse 3. And there's nothing that you can do to change God's view of you. You simply respond to what he's done for you. But I realized that we all didn't magically change after that. There wasn't like a magical spiritual dust that came over us, and we go, oh, right, now, now we have no confidence in our flesh. And then the next week, we were shown by the example of Paul what it means to take something of confidence and to see it as rubbish because of knowing Christ Jesus. And the challenge of Paul saying, listen, all of the things that I considered as gain, I now consider them as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. And I want more of Christ. And just that reminder of God and the worth of Christ is far greater than the suffering of anything, the loss of anything else. Doesn't matter. We want Christ. And then Paul's recognition, he says, listen, I haven't obtained this. I am not perfect, but this is what I do. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead because God has called me upward to, to the glorious riches that are found in Jesus Christ. That's, what I, that's where my eyes are fixed. And then he reminds us, those who are mature think 
this way. There's a thought that's continually happening. Even back in the part of no confidence in the flesh, he says, I count, I consider, I think about these things differently now. And he says, and those of us who are mature think this way. But then the reality of what what Todd showed us is that Paul has given us an example. And he says, listen, imitate me, because there's people who don't live this way. And where are their minds? He says in verse 19 of 3, he says, "Their, their minds are set on earthly things. He says, but yours shouldn't be set on earthly things because your citizenship is in heaven. And we're waiting for Christ to come back. And when he does come back, he's going to transform this lowly body that's given to decay and destruction. He's going to transform it and make it like his glorious body. That's amazing. And the challenge is then stand firm in the Lord. And I think again, God is preparing our hearts to have these foundational truths of the things that he's working in us to bring us to where we are now. Stand firm in the Lord, church. And then last week, again, it's not that we're trying to ignore things that unsettle us. We don't ignore these things like broken relationships or circumstances that would stifle your joy or tension between family members and friends or asking the question, God, where are you? Why aren't you changing this? But as Jasper reminded us, the road to peace is paved in trusting God and obeying him. The circumstances don't change God. We can all admit that our circumstances do not change God and his view of us. And so as he reminded us lastly, he says, in your anxieties, remember God is with you. God is always with you. Church, I have to ask you, do you see the meal that God has been feeding us over the past couple weeks? He's been feeding us a banquet of truth. Do we stop and consider what he's already preparing us for so that we would face the things that we are in now? And that meal, I feel it's much like my kids who after eating dinner go, can I have a snack? I go, what do you mean you want a snack? You just ate a hearty meal. And I feel like that's our hearts is that even after we leave, that we will feel like we still need to snack even though our Our hearts and our minds have been filled with the richest truth and the meal of the banquet of God's goodness. And I think of my own heart that is so quickly given over to thoughts that spill into greater chaos in my heart and my mind. And I wonder, what what can I even do during that time? Because we need to help to see things differently. Because the ramblings of our minds... The ramblings, the thoughts, as Dave Harvey says, the ramblings, the the pools of our thoughts, they need something worthy to think about. And God is showing us in our passage today in Philippians 4, 8 and 9. He's showing us that all around us are hints of glory that point our focus to him. But do we even recognize them? So let's read together Philippians 4, 8 and 9. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now notice that what he starts off with is in this passage, he has general statements using the word whatever. And it's not a dismissal of things that are important, like your maybe teenager says, whatever. He's saying, wherever you find these things, 
think about these things. The command is think about these things. And when he says think about these things, he's saying ponder them. Give weight and value to these things and allow their value to influence the way you live your life. Valuing things means you see them clearly. And that's what he's trying to help you see. But look at how general these things are. By the use of the word whatever, it's, it's really wherever you find them. Wherever you find these characteristics, think on these things. So one of the first things we see is that everyone can see them. These aren't, these aren't blind to you. You're not blind to these things. They're, they're all around you is what he's saying. And I think of how often our vision becomes so narrowed because we have concerns that revolve only around us. And maybe some of you are thinking, this is how I feel in my house. I feel like this is all my life. I'm isolated from everybody else and I can't see anything else. And look at how all these things are affecting me. And I say to you that God is shoving our vision wide. He's saying, listen, there's, there's things all around you that would evidence me to you. You can see them. But it's not just that you can see them. The expectation is that everyone will see them. That you will find them. You will see every one of us. Examples of things that are true, of things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, or praiseworthy. He says you will see these things. But the question is, will you recognize what they're pointing you to? You see, because God has infused this world of hints of his presence, hints of his glory. And the benefit of this time is the fact that you and I actually have an opportunity, many of us have an opportunity to stop and to reflect upon and see what is truly there. Think of the simplicity of seeing things in creation. Birds chirping in the trees. What a grace that this is happening during the spring. Think of the warmth of the sun. Think about how water feels on your hands as you wash them 300 times a day. Think about the smell of a pine tree or the smell of the smoke of a fire or the sound of the wind in the trees or the sound of the waves crashing on the beach. Think of the feeling of a spider being squished in a napkin as you protect your family from a vile, wicked intruder. Think about the taste of a wonderful meal finished off by your beverage of choice. Drink responsibly. But all of these things are hints of glory. They're means of pointing us to one who is glorious. And we should be looking for these hints of glory. We should be seeing these hints of glory. And it's not just creation out there. It's not just the things out there. Yes, it's there, but it's also found in his word. And let me remind you that we need his word in order to see the things in creation with clarity. Because people who don't know God, they experience the same things that we do, but they don't see God. They don't recognize God in those things. And here's the irony that Paul is pointing to even in this passage. And let me show you this. He says, even though people do not recognize God, they cannot help but evidence God. And this is the idea of common grace. This is the image of God is stamped in us Hints of glory are imprinted 
in every one of us as God's people. So even people who don't even realize it, don't even recognize God, they evidence God. And that's an irony. And Paul even says, listen, these, these characteristics, these things, even the Greeks of that day, they recognize these things as good, as things to pursue, as things that people should be searching after and showing. And I think of the fact that God has told us that we live and move and have our being because of his grace, our intellect. Our ability to reason and come to conclusions has a hint of his glory. The fact that you and I have a moral understanding, the fact that we have a law written on our hearts, that we recognize that there's a thing like justice and things that are honorable. And even the idea of creativity, of making things that are lovely, making things that are beautiful, and we recognize things that are beautiful. And think about a society, the idea that you and I have things that would draw us together and have community, and we recognize our need for these things. Why? Because all of these are hints of God's glory infused in his creation. And church, we need to see these things. God is challenging us to see these things. I think of examples during this time with the coronavirus around the world, examples of other cultures and other beliefs living out this truth. Think of what's happened in Italy. So they have what's known as a flash mob of music at 6 p.m. every day. People from all over Italy will go out to their balconies and they'll just start playing music and they'll start singing and they invite everybody else who's out there to play and to sing and to join together. And people have reflected on it and this is what they say about it. They say, we feel like we're all one. He said, we're not separated like we were before. One said, music transports us to a world of its own and allows us to forget this awful situation, and it actually helps us to confront it. One guy commented and says, I think the most effective weapons we have against the virus are music and culture. He says, so let's fill up our days with beauty, beating the virus to the beat of music, and soon we'll be able to hug everyone again. You see, these people, they don't recognize God necessarily, but they recognize stuff that is beautiful, lovely, commendable, honorable, pure. And they're they're drawn together in this way, and it's a picture, a hint of the glory of God being stamped in the hearts of man. And we recognize, and our hearts are drawn to those things. And there's evidence right there. And I think of even here, people are having car parades of teachers and people are putting up Christmas lights and trying to have the community or a neighborhood come together during this time, even though we have to be apart. I think of stories of sacrifice and love. I think of movies that portray someone giving their life or, or honorably pursuing to protect different people. I think of a gifted surgeon or doctor or those who research better ways to help the sick and diseases of the world and those who give their time and efforts to this. I think of our recognition of commending people who give time and money and sacrifice to help those who are weak, poor, destitute, rejected by other people. I think of a talented musician playing something so beautiful that it can bring you to tears and the way that a song can transport you back in time with rich vividness. I think of the beauty of a poem being spoken to someone that you love or describing something that is just too beautiful without a poem. It needs to be spoken in a poem. 
I think of the purity of a child sleeping in your arms at peace with you. Or even laughing with little care of what's going on around them, even during this time. And I think all of these things are excellent and worthy of praise because God has brought these things about and they're all around you constantly, church. Constantly, they're around you. Now let me warn us, this is not the power of positive thinking. Okay, that's, a, that's a big deal in our culture. If you think better, better things will come, is really what it is. If I think better about things, then better things are going to come. And that's not what we're talking about. That focus is on making me feel better and in changing my circumstances, right? That's what it's talking about. Well, that's not, we're, well, that's not what Paul's talking about. I think of an example of this is my mom. When we were during, uh, I think it was soccer season, right? You're, you're doing practice and you're exhausted at the beginning of soccer season because you are running more than you ever like, ever like. And, and you're exhausted. Your legs feel like they're marshmallows by the time you're done. And Saturday, we would want to sleep in because our bodies are just drained from the whole week of practice. And I remember my mom. My mom would come in to my three brothers and I, and she would open the door to our, to our bedrooms, and she would start singing the song. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I have a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. And by the time she got through that one time, one Saturday, she got through it. The next Saturday, she came in and she started singing, Oh, what a... And there was a pillow, boom, thrown right at her. Oh, boys, get out of bed. Stopped her immediately. Why? Because she's singing things that are true. It's a beautiful morning. But what am I thinking? I'm not thinking it's a beautiful morning. I'm thinking it would be a beautiful morning in order to stay in bed and to get what I want. You're trying to change my circumstances. She's trying to have a positive thought on my day. And I think thinking better, having a song sung over you, doesn't change your circumstances. It doesn't help you. It might be a temporary change if you look at things positively. But positive thoughts don't change your circumstances because they're not meant to. Positive thoughts are just a salve over a wound that needs something greater. And so the whatevers that Paul is pointing you to, the end is not positive thinking. The end of the whatevers is pointing us to Jesus. The goal of these whatevers is seeing and recognizing that the divine presence is always around you. Jesus is with you in every circumstance. Think of Paul again. He says, I want to know him. Jesus is the epitome of all of these characteristics. Jesus is the one who is fully true, fully honorable, and just, and pure, and lovely, and commendable, and excellent, and worthy of praise. And listen, as you see those hints of glory, and you see hints of Jesus, it should draw your heart to truths about Jesus. And seeing the hints, you start recognizing that Jesus is still the one who holds everything together by his powerful word. He's still the one who works all things together for our good. He's still the one who's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the one who's for us and not against us. He's still the one who's the author and the perfecter 
of our faith. He's still the one who loves us and gave himself for us. He's still the one who's our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And he's still the one who rules over the kings and rulers of this earth. He's the one who conquered death and Hades through the cross. He's the one who was raised in power by the Spirit of God. He's the one who sits at the right hand of the majesty of the Father in heaven. He's the one who will return and make right everything that is wrong. And he will finally free every single one of us and everything from corruption, decay, death, and destruction. And he will bring us forever to himself in his glorious presence for all eternity. Church, can I tell you and remind you that the coronavirus has not chipped away one fragment, one fragment of that foundation? Not one. Nothing has changed that truth. And those hints of glory, those things that God is showing us and revealing us in part is pointing us to the whole to the reality that Jesus Christ is still there. Do you believe that? Do you trust him during this time? Do you see him during this time? That's what Paul is pointing our focus to in the whatevers of life. And I'm challenged because I think these truths may seem like whispers now. Maybe they're they're faint hints. But as you learn to see them, as you think about these things, they will start shouting and they will start revving up in volume over and over and day after day after day, your mind will be fueled with the truth all around you that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is the king over all that is happening. And there is great peace knowing that truth. But I think of this, what have we been seeing What have we been focusing on? What has consumed our thoughts? God is guiding us. He's teaching us to see him more and more in any circumstance. Let me remind you, Paul had to learn this himself. As he's writing this, he's learned to see Jesus. In fact, later on, he'll talk about he's learned the secret of being content in any circumstance. But he learned to see Jesus in prison because that's where he's when he's writing this. He's learned to rejoice in the Lord during that time, to see Jesus in the midst of his persecution and difficulties and suffering and in losing everything in order to gain Christ. Because again, he learned to see the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in verse 9, he says, listen, God has made me an example of this. This is God has made me an example of this. Think of in Philippians 3, how he says, I I consider these things. I've learned that my thoughts have changed according to this. And therefore, my actions have changed because of my thoughts changing. And that's the truth. When your thoughts change, when you see and think about things differently, then your actions change. And that's what he moves to. It's not simple, or, or it's not simply that you and I think differently. It's because as he says at the end of verse 9, or near the end of verse 9, he says, practice these things. Don't just think about these things, but now practice these things. And so notice he says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And so when he talks about things that are learned, he's talking about the teachings that you've heard about Christ. 
He uses this word in other places. One of them I'll show you, or actually two of them I'll show you. In Ephesians 4.20, he reminds us, listen, that is not the way you learned Christ. You've learned Christ a certain way. This is the teaching about Christ, the doctrines of the Bible, the glories of God as revealed in his word. This is what you've learned. And that's not the way you learned Christ. To Timothy, he writes and he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And then he says, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures. He says, you know the scriptures. You've learned them. And so it's not just looking, again, out at creation. It's also knowing God through his word. And that's also shown in the next word he uses, which is received. Received is an understanding of Jesus himself, as given in the gospel in particular. The good news of Jesus is what they have received. So they learned about him first, and then they've received him. So there's a knowledge that is gained and a reception, a taking it to yourself. And that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He says, I believe this as well. And notice what he says. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he's showing us the simplicity of the message of the gospel and of Jesus himself and what he's done for us. Colossians 2.6 also says, Therefore, as you received, received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You've received him by faith. He's become your own by faith. So walk in him. And so it's not sufficient, again, just to look at the whatevers. It's, it's helpful to see those. Those are pointing you, hints of glory. But you need to see it also in God's special revelation. You need to see it in his word because this gives clarity to that. And that points you to this, which points you to the Lord Jesus. But it's not just the fact that you've learned and received. He also says, it's personal. You've heard and seen it in me. And so he is himself a living example of what to do in regards to this and how to think in regards to circumstances. And we saw in 3.17, Todd preached on it. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Do what I do. Think what I think. It's what he's saying. What you've heard and seen in me, these things that I'm telling you, think these things, these very things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. That's what I want you to do. And he reminds us that there's other people who you can also look to, who walk according to the example you have in us. So let me ask this. Are there examples that you're seeing? Who are people that you know? Or are you a person that someone else can point to who's an example of someone who thinks after the ways of God and who practices living out the reality of his presence and the goodness of his presence with us? I think of those people who live as examples who are willingly trading in the temporary things for those that are eternal. I think those who have learned, and all of us learn to see with eyes of faith, faith, and we learn to think with the mind of Christ. But I love that he says, practice these things, because I often wonder, okay, so how do I do this? He says, practice these things. It's not instantaneous. And I think, again, as I started off, we're not just magically going to have spiritual dust sprinkled over us, and we're just going to magically be different. 
God in his grace and in his patience helps push us forward. We continue with God. It's not instantaneous. It is persistence. We keep going. We keep straining forward. We keep looking upward to the prize, the upward call of God, which is the prize that God has called us to in Christ Jesus. That's where we're looking to. And as we often say it, it's the summit that we're fixing our eyes to. And there's a lot of failures in this. There's a lot of resetting. There's a lot of repentance. But there is growth that is happening. So let me encourage you, church, that is a work of God also. That God is the one who began the work. He will bring it to completion. God is the one who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And so you and I can rejoice in the Lord and glory in Christ Jesus because we're not doing this alone. Not doing this alone, even though you might feel alone. God is with you. We're with you. We're doing this together. And God in his grace has given us the power to do this. And he points to that. He points to that in the next phrase. He says, the God of peace will be with you. I don't know how you picture peace. I really don't. But in Isaiah 26.3, it talks about him keeping in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And maybe you picture peace as someone sitting on a hammock and overlooking the beach and waves kind of crashing, a soft breeze through the palm trees. And, and that's what it is. It's a person who's just sitting there relaxing in the shade, their, their arms back, they're just kind of relaxing, just like that. Can I tell you that's not peace? That's a pansy peace. God promises a powerful peace. Look at what he says about the God of peace. So the God of peace, that phrase is used other times in scripture. Can I tell you that every time it's used, it is something of God being powerful? Look at Romans 16, 20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a powerful peace. Why? Because peace comes with a person who is able to vanquish and to destroy the enemies who stand opposed to you. That's what Isaiah 26 is even talking about when he says, you will keep him in perfect peace, the one whose mind is stayed on you. In, in Isaiah 25 and 26, he talks about God destroying your enemies and able to remove them from his presence and ultimately bring you full victory. That's a powerful peace. It's not that the circumstances are changed now, but it's trusting that God will do this. Notice this, he will soon crush Satan under your feet. And then look at Hebrews 13. He says, now may the God of peace, look at what he's done. Look at what this God of peace has done. He's brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. May that God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God has granted us peace with himself by conquering sin and death. Do you see that? He's the one who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. That's powerful. And he's also done this by the blood of the eternal covenant through his death. That is a powerful peace that God has enacted on our behalf. So when it says the God of peace will be with you, please do not think or act like this God is weak during this time. Our God is not weak 
Our God is powerful, and we need to see that we need him now more than ever. And so be thrilled. Be thrilled, church, that he's moving you away from looking to yourself and to all the things that you trust in. And he's giving you and granting you more and more and more of himself, which is the very power that we need to to see ourselves grow and to see him gloriously exalted in our lives during this time. Because that's what the world needs to see, too. Kids need to see that. We need to evidence that over and over and over again. And this God is with us through all of this. And so I, I wonder about this, this passage and, and thinking about what do we do in light of this. Church, can we just admit that we have a God-given opportunity? Many of us have a God-given opportunity to spend time how we want to. Maybe you don't even know what you're going to do. You're so used to going and going and going and God just slammed on the brakes in your life and stopped you. Well, can I, can I challenge you? Can I challenge you to think about how you spend your time? Perhaps you, you think, well, maybe now I have time to uh, binge watch my favorite TV show or my favorite movies or maybe I'm just going to sit around and uh, play video games or sit around on my phone And let me say, it's not that you can't do any of that, but you can't do only that. That would be a waste of your time. That would prove itself to be unfruitful in your life. You have to diversify what you do. Because again, the whatevers are not found in one location. The whatevers are found everywhere around you. And so I want you to encourage one another in a specific way. What I want us to do is think through, sorry, there it is, uh, the whatevers of life. I want us to think through the whatevers of life. And and this is what I want to challenge us to do. In the comments under this live stream, I would ask you, or maybe even uh, other Facebook posts or other things to share within your small group, consider these three questions and and share them with all of us. Because we, again, we need to help one another see these things. So where have you seen hints of glory? Where have you seen hints of glory around you? Perhaps this past week or be looking for them this week. And how have they revealed God's character? The second thing, how have they revealed God's character to you? And finally, where do you see this in God's word? Because again, that points you to this. So solidify it in God's revelation. If it is a true revealing of himself, then it will point you to Jesus. And so I want to invite you, as you think of these things, to write down and share testimony to all of us, so that all of us can be encouraged. Where are hints of glory? Where are they? Because then we can see them together. Maybe it's in a a movie that you've watched. Maybe it's in a book that you've read. Maybe it's a part of a book that you've read. Maybe it was an experience of you walking through the woods. Maybe it was something that you heard your child say. Or perhaps it was a conversation that you had with someone that you hadn't talked to in a long time. Where do you see God revealing himself to you? Because again, as Paul says, it's everywhere. It's everywhere around you. And these things aren't here again to make you feel good. They're here to make you see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. So how can we encourage one another to see Jesus? 
I want to end with uh, praying for us over Hebrews 13, uh, verse 20. Because I think about this and just the reality of what God is promising in this passage, and it's just a good reminder to me. So, so bow with me in prayer as I pray this passage over all of us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see that you are the God of peace. You're the one who brought Jesus Christ back from the dead. You raised him to life. You, Lord Jesus, are our king. You are our great shepherd. You are the one who guides us and leads us, Lord. And we are sheep, often straying. Lord, you are the one who keeps your sheep. Not one of them can be removed from you. We thank you for that. And you're the one who gave your life for the sheep. You laid down your life and you shed your blood so that you could bring about a covenant with us, the new covenant, the promises of God, fully realized in what you have done for us, Lord, and nothing will ever change that. Lord, I thank you for that truth. But Lord, I also ask that as we see next, Lord, that you would equip us, that you would you would fashion us and, and help us to see that you are able to give us everything that is good so that we would do what is pleasing to you, what is your will, and that you work in us. You're the one who does this. You do these things so that we would please you and do what is pleasing in your sight, and you've done this all through the power of Jesus Christ. And to you alone, Lord, we pray, would be glory forever and ever. And all of God's people said, amen. Church, we love you. It's a privilege to speak the word of God to you. And uh, Corey is going to close with a song. So let's sing together. So let's do it. Let's praise from the mountaintops, from the valleys. We have such confidence in God. I count on one thing. Same God who never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God is never late, is working all things out. You're working all things out.
church. I know God is good. and There's many things in life that we may fight against, but during this time, we will say, yes, I will. No matter what, we're going to praise Him. We're going to look to Him. We're going to give Him everything. Hey, listen, before we go, before you enjoy your day with your family, um, but before you leave and go into lunch, whatever it may be, I want to remind you of a few things. One, the youth lesson tonight at 6 here at Facebook, 6 o'clock youth lesson. But then also maybe you've been wondering about Easter, Palm Sunday, Good Friday. Maybe you've been wondering about how we're going to do all that. Hey, we're still going to do all of it. Palm Sunday's coming up. Then Friday, Good Friday at 7.30, we're going to have a live stream. So there's going to be something for Good Friday that once you prepare for, tune in for, and it's going to be at 7.30 and then on Sunday for Easter, we're also going to have an Easter message as well. And so I wanted you to be expecting those things and looking forward to those things. And we hope you have a wonderful day. And we look forward to seeing you again here on Facebook for the next one. Your love, church. God bless.